What a multidisciplinary aortic team can offer patients with aortic disease in 2023. It's, it's kind of uh, the, the evolution of aortic disease and the outcomes of it, I, I can say, have, have changed a lot. Uh, aortic surgery was uh, extremely highly uh, morbid and high mortality operation back in 1960, 1980. And, uh, uh, and, and since then, a lot has changed. And, 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 uh, I'm going through this to see what actually uh, the aortic uh, surgery team can uh, can uh, offer patients with uh, with any type of aortic disease. Uh, these are some of my uh, disclosures. I'm going to go straight forward to the answer. So by the end of the talk, we kind of don't get tired. So uh, the answer is that in this in, uh, era, 2023, uh, any cardiac uh, surgery center, heart vascular institution, cardiac surgery, vascular surgery, or any institution that uh, can offer uh, some type of a management for patients with aortic disease should be able to offer these uh, type of uh, uh, operations and procedures and, and with their outcomes that I'm mentioning here. Uh, valve sparing aortic root repair is it this part is aortic root this is the whole aorta and this part is the aortic root it's below the uh, sinotubular junction and these two areas that uh, coronary arteries coming aortic valves attached here and for patients that they have root aortic root aneurysm and that means their aortic root is above five centimeter and uh, uh, or uh, and they have uh, aneurysm of the root. We can uh, spare the valve and keep their own valve and resect all of these bad uh, aneurysmal tissue around it. It should be we should be able to offer that with a mortality less than two percent. Again, two percent is is the current era of of, of valve sparing root. Aortic root replacement is when we do resect this and uh, and put a either pig valve or a mechanical valve. Again, excellent outcomes. Ascending aortic replacement, uh, which is this part, of, uh, ascending aorta uh, from this uh, sinotubular junction to right below this innominate artery, we call this ascending aorta, and and uh, the, the mortality is extremely low, less than 1% with a less than 1% stroke rate. Uh, total artery replacement, when we resect all of these uh, area here, again, for patients with aortic aneurysm, aortic arch aneurysm, and, uh, or, or dissection. A little bit of a higher mortality rate. Of course, it's, it's connected to the head vessels. And mortality less than 6%, stroke less than 6%. And then trochoabdominal aortic, the resection of, of all of these parts of the aorta depends on the extension of uh, uh, the disease resection from zone, uh, zone three all the way down here, which we, we call that extend two trochoabdominal aortic resection. A little bit of higher rate mortality uh, when we do all of this resection open or versus every zone, uh, descending replacement open or, or trochoabdominal resection from the diaphragm area to the bifurcation. And then abdominal aortic replacement, which is resection either uh, at the celiac area or intravenal area. And then going to the endovascular or hybrid approach, 
is, is we should be able to offer in, in this area to EVAR, which is putting a stent for a abdominal aortic aneurysm, just a, a tube from here to here, penetrated uh, throughout abdominal, which putting a stent across from this area to this area and somehow revascularize these abdominal vessels. We, we call it FIVAR. And then coming up, zone one, zone two, and zone three TVAR, which you can see here, zone one is right below the left carotid, between the left, uh, between the innominate and left carotid, we call it zone one. Zone two is between the left carotid and left subclavian. And zone three is after the left subclavian. So a stenting of these, every of these part of the uh, aortic arch, uh, we, we, we can, uh, um, we are able to do that now in this, uh, in this, uh, uh, time zone. Total endo arch, putting endo stenting across this area with just endovascular option. Ascending a stent, which putting a stent across here, uh, and for patients who cannot tolerate open operation, so they cannot have this very excellent outcomes of a, a sending replacement. And then finally, uh, endobento, which, you know, it's extremely a state of the art. Um, we are one of the only centers, actually the only centers in the United States so far have done that uh, and actually have done it two times so far. And so quickly, uh, a little bit of very over general uh, about how we do this ascending hemi arch. When we call it the hemi arches, we replace the ascending aorta from the sinotubular junction all the way to the arch vessel, right below the arch, leaving this island of the head vessels alone. We call that hemi arch. Why is hemi arch? Because we cut it in half, leave leave the arch alone, the head vessels, and uh, replace this lower part. When we do root replacement, root ascending hemiarch, that's, we put, put an interposition graft, we reconnect the coronary arteries, and we do hemiarch. And when we do total arch replacement, it's this way. We resect all of this and we connect them back together. And then when we call hemiarch frozen elephant trunk repair is when we have an aneurysm in the descending aorta at this at area of the head vessels. So we put a very, we put a stiff stent graft through this descending aorta, and then we sew the graft or 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 the um, uh, acron graft uh, to this rigid stent graft and imbricate the aorta to that, and then uh, so that's why it's called frozen elephantron. If we put another graft, something like this, which is very flimsy graft inside the a stent inside the descending aorta is called elephant trunk. It's not frozen. The stent gets frozen because it's a stiff. The reason this frozen came is because it's easier actually to deploy stent and so to that versus a, just a dacron graft, which becomes very hard to do the procedure. A little bit of quick about valve sparing aortic root repair. So, uh, this Tyron David uh, in, in 1990 came with this phenomenon uh, uh, operation for valve sparing root, and in his vast majority of uh, data now found out operative mortality less than one percent in his uh, in his experience, about 500 patients with an excellent outcomes, uh, and reoperation rate was extremely uh, low, six percent in 20 years. 
Again, this is for patients that they have aortic root aneurysm. A, a root is about five centimeter. And, uh, and, and they, instead of going there and replacing their valve, we keep their own, uh, patient's valve. And, and this is, this is his, uh, long-term outcomes of it. Uh, excellent, excellent outcomes. And this is the step of this procedure. How we do that in the operative room. This is a patient that they have a aortic root aneurysm. And, uh, so we put a clamp here. We go on pump. Uh, here's the arterial cannula. We put it in the aortic arch, venous cannula in the right atrium. We go on pump, clamp the aorta and resect this. So these are all aneurysm, bad, t- bad tissue. We somehow make, uh, sinuses of these, uh, uh aortic tissue, uh, with the valve, uh, preserve them, make, make the coronary bottoms and uh, do our distal stenosis here. And then, uh, as you can see here, put some sutures to bring this, uh, the whole aortic root tissue inside this graft. This is a valve graft that we use in the operative room. And these, this aortic root uh, with a patient's own valve attached to that, we kind of imaginate that inside this graft. And, 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 uh, start sewing them inside this graph so it doesn't leak. And then reattach the coronary bottoms to, to this graph, like, like the, this, this, uh, figure shows. And this is a final, uh, uh, a final picture of valve sparing aortic root, uh, uh, repair. The patient's own valve is preserved. Excellent outcomes. It's always better to have that than a, a tissue valve or a mechanical valve. Some technical things for residents. When you do valve sparing root, make sure the coaptation depth at the end of the procedure is more than nine millimeter and make sure the post pump AI is less than mild. If, if your AI at the end of the pump is moderate, you go back, you replace it, do some configuration. Don't say, Oh, I'm tired. Patient had a long day. That patient will come back in the operative room in like two or three months or six months and you have to go back inside his chest. Uh, so th- this, this is amazing. It's an amazing story, uh, about this, this guy, this, uh, this Tal, Tal uh, Galway. He's, is one of my actually, uh, uh, close friends. Uh, he has Marpon. He lives in uh, England and he, uh, he uh, himself had, had Marpon. And back in 1994, uh, he was, uh, uh, you know, diagnosed with ascending aneurysm, which was 4.2 centimeter at that time for him. And he really didn't want to get operation for ascending 4.2. The cutoff for ascending for Marfan is 4.5. And so what he does, uh, he, he was an engineer. He actually went back to his lab and started to see how can, you know, I can put a, a invent a mesh, uh, somehow a mesh that they can wrap around my aorta and uh, based on the preoperative uh, MRI. Uh, so he invented this uh, 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 polyesterin uh, mesh that based on the preoperative MRI, it, it gets customized for patients. It goes without the patients go on pump or anything. They customize this graft based on their aorta. It, and uh, again, um, they uh, this graft goes around the root goes around the coronaries and goes to the zone one, goes around the innominate artery. And this is, this is it. He invents that and he, he's the first patient actually got that device, got his own device, uh, for this mesh. 
He's been living uh, with his aneurysm for uh, 23 years now. His ascending aorta is 4.2 centimeter, like exactly what he got diagnosed 25 years ago. So uh, fascinating outcomes. We Right now, they are doing this study. It's at uh, Europe, and, uh, you know, uh, he's trying to bring this uh, uh, device to the U.S., and these are his outcomes. He's not a surgeon, but these are the centers in Europe that implanted this device. So for patients with Marfan or connective tissue disorder, you know, this is something in Horizon that comes. So instead of re- replacing that with a Dacron graft, uh, which has its own risk factor, right? Uh, risk of a stroke to go on pump or risk of infection with Dacron graft or uh, any complication with that, you could just wrap this around it. Uh, and of course it's, it's, uh, there are some technical, uh, uh, situation with implanting this. You have to bring the blood pressure during implantation very low, like 70, so you can implant that safely without going on pump. Aortic root replacement. So in some patients, early 50, 70, 80 year old, instead of valvasperin root, which, you know, usually the outcome should Come after 10 years, the, uh, the differences between valvospin root and root replacement. For these patients, we tend to do root replacement with a somehow either a pig valve or a mechanical valve. We go there and we take the patient's valve, uh, we make the coronaries bottom, we separate them, and uh, replace the valve with a with a mechanical or a tissue valve. Outcomes, phenomenal. So aortic root replacement, patients shouldn't die. Uh, mortality, 2%. Stroke rate, 1%. Very safe operation. And these are the national outcomes across the U.S. between the four different techniques uh, uh, for aortic patients with aortic root. Uh, using a mechanical bentop, using the uh, stented biobentop, which, you know, we use that here. A stainless bentol is sort of a different uh, valve than this one, and then valve aspirin root. In this study, they compared these four uh, techniques, and they found out that the best outcomes actually comes uh, with the patients who got bio uh, stainless or uh, bioprosthesis valve. And then after that, valve aspirin root. The worst outcomes was with mechanical biobentol. Uh, and, and the reason was with the risk of a stroke, risk of bleeding related to putting a mechanical uh, uh, valve in a patient. And between biobentol and valvospirin root, again, it's, it's always a debate between for the residents and fellows here. It's always a debate to, re, to uh, reserve the patient's valve. And okay, we'll see if this valve will stay for 10 years or, or replace it with a tissue valve, which gives usually 10, 12, 14 years durability of, of, of valve. And so right now, this is the study that came and compared the outcomes of these two. And they found out if the patient is less than 50 year old, it was a higher rate of reoperation if we did a biobentol, right? We replace it and we put a pig valve. So it's less than 50 year old. They found out it's better to preserve the patient's valve and, and do a valve route. If the patient had a bicuspid aortic valve, they found out, you know, that the, the rate of reoperation was higher if we preserve the valve, if we have done a valve aspirin route. So it always comes to uh, judgment of, of the of 
every case for, for, for every patient. A little bit of higher area, total aortic arch replacement was extremely highly morbid procedure, high mortality uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago with like 25%, 20% stroke rate, 10, 15% mortality rate. But now uh, it's, it's with the introduction of uh, some type of a head perfusion uh, or uh, cerebral protection during total arch replacement outcomes have improved. These are some type of the techniques that we do during total arch replacement. And right now the outcomes is this. Mortality should be around 6-7%, a stroke rate around 5-6%. to uh, And this is another device that actually we use it here. It came, it just came FDA approved for total arch and, and replacement. And this actually uh, can help uh, you know, this device goes inside the descending aorta, we implant it, and all of these head vessels get reconnected. The beauty of this device is somehow first, you can proximalize the anastomosis, you can depressurize the distal anastomosis, and hopefully potentially at some point, you don't have to cool the patient all the way down to uh, uh, to like, you know, 20 degree and, uh, to perform seek arrest for your total arch replacement. I will explain uh, uh, cooling and uh, deep hypothermia secreta arrest and a little bit of later. And this is another technique that we do here. It's called the safer technique. We open the patients with a type A or aortic aneurysm. We, uh, we, rese- we uh, resect the aorta between the head vessels. We put a stent graft. Then we put it in a, in a very proximal area between the left carotid and left subclavian. Make a small hole in the graph with, uh, with, uh, uh, and then we put a stent inside this and then sew the graph into it and then we attach these head vessels to this. Uh, and we can even use this as for left carotid or any other arteries as, as it's been uh, shown here. And so this is the case that we have performed. You can even use the left vertebral artery penetration for this. This helps to proximalize the anastomosis, really simplify a total arch replacement uh, that uh, we perform in this operation. And data we perform, we do this operation here, mortality 5%, a stroke rate 5%. So I'm talking about type A dissection here. I have to, I have to say that, of course. Uh, you know, type A dissection, the definition for residents and fellows has changed. It, it used to be ascending all the way to the left carotid uh, type A or to, to the innominate uh, type A and innominate to left subclavian non-A, non-B, and after left subclavian uh, type B. And if you remember, it was always 60% type A, the distribution in the national data, 60% type A, 40% type B. But now AHA guidelines, uh, they change the definition. The type A is to right after the innominate artery and the type A, type B is after the innominate artery. So I'm pretty sure by the next five years, we will see 60% type B, 40% type A, that, that, that it will change the distribution of it. And of course, the management of this is different. For type A patients needs emergency operation in the operating room. 
somehow fixing this ascending aorta. Why? Because it's at the risk of rupture. It's a very dynamic area with every heartbeat. This area, which is curvature, has a tear. It can rupture. Versus type B, which is this area, uh, is medical management because usually there's a fascia around the aorta, in the arch, in the descending aorta, in the abdominal aorta that can hold the adventitia and it, the risk of rupture is less than ascending aorta that there's no uh, precardium or adventitia. So this is a patient that has a right uh, uh, type, that has a type A dissection. You see how thin it is, it's dilated. And uh, this is obviously uh, at the risk of rupture pretty, pretty fast, extremely dilated. This is another picture of a patient with a type A. You see, this is the adventitia. It's two layers now. And this, these two layers are supposed to be together, but now it's completely separated. Intima here, adventitia here. And it's a, and the blood is going between these two. So this layer can rupture at any time. And you see, this is another, you see how thin a video of a patient with a, uh, with a type A dissection. It's extremely thin. You can even see the blood vessel passing the aorta. So that's why it's at the risk of rupture. Patient come with a type A dissection for residents and fellows. Always establish your, uh, cerebral pre brain protection preoperatively. You want to go bilateral. You want to go unilateral. Uh, bilateral head perfusion uh, anti-grade or you you want to go retrograde cerebral perfusion and usually this the way that now is, is safe is if we just want to do hemi-arch which I explained that before just to below the innominate artery retrograde cerebral perfusion is is protective and if the patient needs more extensive resection uh, resection all the way to the uh, brachiocephalic artery to the left carotid to the left subclavian all the way to the head vessels it's better to protect the head by providing the blood flow to both of the carotids during all of this resection and this is a this is an example in a patient that right now if if I want to do a type A this is how the patients get cannulated and these are all around uh, Patients either get uh, bilateral, uh, get a right atrial cannula. This is this big cannula is sitting in the right atrium. It drains the patient away to the pump, and then this is arterial cannula, uh, which uh, the pumps the blood uh, blood back to this. Uh, this cannula is sitting inside the aortic arch, uh, and and then. This is the cross clamp because we want to stop the heart to resect this ascending aorta. A clamp is sitting is 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 uh, sitting on the aorta. This is a, a retrograde uh, uh, cardioplegia line. This cannula is sitting into the coronary sinus of the heart, so we can give uh, some uh, heart preservation uh, uh, blood to the heart while the heart is stopped. And this is a cannula sitting in the ascending aorta, so we drain uh, the blood uh, away from the heart uh, by the time we are cooling. And uh, some other cannulas that I explain later. That's how usually the operative room feel looks like for a patient with type A dissection. And a little bit of, about cerebral perfusion. So when we perform 
uh, aortic arch procedure or hemi arch or any patients with type A that they come and we need to do some extensive uh, head vessel workup. We the preservation is we cool the patient down. We go on pump and we cool the patient down from 37 degree to nearly 22, 20 degree nasopharyngeal. Why? Because that way the body and brain's uh, metabolism has decreased significantly uh, that don't require that much oxygen versus when they are in normal thermic situation. And at the same time, we do some blood flow to the head vessels so we can uh, do our anastomosis. This is anterior cerebral perfusion. We put a cannula somehow that can go to the right carotid here and clamp it here so it doesn't come in our way. And then also put another catheter into the left carotid and perfuse it here. So now both head vessels are getting perfusion while we are reconstructing these head vessels. And if and this is protective even when you are doing about 60 minutes, 70 minutes, 80 minutes of CKRS time. CKRS time means uh, basically no blood is going, no regular blood perfusion body pump is going to the to the body. Uh, and, and we stop the pump peripherally to, to open this up and, and reconstruct this. And if you are doing less uh, procedure, a less extensive arch procedure, a retrograde cerebral perfusion. This cannula is sitting into the SVCs, superior vena cava, and we snare it, and this cannula is connected to the pump and blood, uh, whole blood goes inside this and goes to the right IJ and left IJ and goes to the brain, and this way uh, we call it retrograde cerebral perfusion. Data has shown that it's not providing oxygenation for brain. It's not providing nutrition for brain, but it will flush air. It will flush debris and it will keep the head cold during uh, the uh, and kind of less arch work uh, procedure. It will not provide uh, nutrition or oxygenation for head vessels. It is protective for a stroke for hemi-arch replacement if the CKRS time is less than 30 minutes. Uh, that's data been shown. So for type A dissection, the key elements is rapid transport. It's extremely important. Resuscitation during transfer and before. Of course, hybrid OR room and, and quote, aorta team. Vascular surgery, cardiac surgery, and dedicated OR nurses. Outcomes are still not good across the U.S. Uh, we looked at it, and it, with uh, over 8,000 patients with type A that they come, mortality across the U.S. is still high, nearly 20%. So not good. Uh, here is, is, is I have the data here, uh, and, and a stroke rate is still not good, 14%. For type A, so that's why if a patient has aortic aneurysm uh, and it's you see them in the street, you tell them uh, you have to follow up with, the, with your cardiologist and your cardiac surgeon because if the aorta sits at above 4.55 centimeter, it's better to resect that. And I already showed you the outcomes, mortality less than 2%. Versus now it's almost 20% if that aorta dissect or tears with uh, 13% is stored. 
already talked about that hemi arch we showed that rcp is protective for its short for total arch is better to provide blood vessel uh, blood flow to both of the head vessels and so we look at our own outcomes to see why type a outcomes are not good uh, we look at which here is 15 percent back in from 2014 to 2018 Outcomes have improved significantly after this. I will show you our recent outcomes, but this is, this is the paper we look to see why patients die with type A dissection. And we found out that the reason they die is because half of them, they come with some type of a malperfusion. Either uh, not enough blood is going to their gut or liver or kidney or legs or uh, to their brain, some type of a not enough blood supply. And, and that's why they, they, they come in a very, uh, 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 in shock condition. We look at all of the preoperative variables and, uh, and all of the labs, uh, uh, acidosis, uh, and we found out that three factors, lactate, creatinine, and liver malperfusion were extremely important for those patients who died. Those patients uh, had a higher lactate, higher creatinine, and higher, higher liver uh, uh, malperfusion, had a higher risk of death. And we came with this risk score, <clears throat> 5.5 to lactic acid plus 8 to, 8 to creatinine plus minus 8 to liver malperfusion. We <clears throat> stratified them to three groups. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And look at the outcomes. Like if the patient was didn't have any malperfusion, the operating mortality was 3%. A pretty safe operation if they didn't have malperfusion. But if they had malperfusion, uh, operating mortality 37%. That's, that's bad. To decrease this, of course, patient needs rapid, rapid transfer. And we established that all of these patients after the procedure, we have to make sure that they're they don't have prefrontal perfusion because when, when we do type A repair and we can't change the configuration of the aorta in the descending, the descending aortic flap can always change the configuration of it and they can show malperfusion in the ICU. So it's always better to, to confirm that we don't have any malperfusion after your primary repair in the operative room. So in the ICU, we don't be worried about it anymore or at least less worried about it. So we perform on-table angiography at the end. We perform IVIS at the end. IVIS means look at all of the blood vessels by uh, by a catheter at the end to make sure they're all getting my perfusion. In old days, we used to do it, come up here, and we keep looking. Oh, creatinine keeps going up. Well, you know, the patient had a big procedure. But no, actually, we noticed that some of these patients, they had kidney malperfusion. They're, and usually, have you guys noticed, usually the left kidney is coming from the false lumen, the right kidney is coming from true lumen or the other way. But if, if the, we perform angiography and IVIS and we see, we don't see a rapid perfusion, rapid flow of the contrast going to any of these kidneys. That means the kidney is getting, is, is not getting enough blood flow and it's getting, it's better to stent them right at the end of uh, procedure. 
And this is the algorithm that we came and we are following this now. And 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 so if uh, these patients come with a severe AI tamponade or coronary ischemia, they go to the operating room right away. But if they don't have any of these massive symptoms, we we calculate this. And if they are in low risk or moderate risk, we replace them. If they are at high risk, if they come with a high lactic acid, high creatinine, or liver malperfusion, we don't take them to the OR because they die. They 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 we showed that mortality above six forty uh, percent. And an example of it is bed six, you know, a cardiac surgery ICU. He came with a liver malperfusion, high creatinine, and lactate of seven or eight. That patient, if we didn't operate on him, even with a tear in his ascending aorta and descending aorta, we didn't open him. And so these are the options now that we offer. I'd be either do fenestration, we make a small tear hole inside the descending aorta to make more communication between the true lumen and false lumen. Or we put a stent in the descending aorta to open up the good lumen. Uh, to, so that more blood goes to the abdominal vessels, or actually we do ascending stents, uh, so that we cover the tear and more blood goes to the abdominal vessels, exactly for this patients in bed six in the ICU, that he got ascending stent. And I wish I, I could, like, this bed six, uh, they should, they're scoping today and his stomach almost completely now recovered. He came with a dead stomach, dead liver, dead kidney, and with and with a type A section, uh, and he got he got stent in his descending aorta. It wasn't enough for him. He got a, a stent in his ascending aorta for dissection, and we just gave him time. And I see and in cardiac surgery ICU phenomenon. Uh, uh, management for him, and now his uh, endoscopy today showed his stomach is all, all recovered almost 95% versus a dead stomach. So, let, if you want to talk about endovascular, uh, it, this is this is the story of endovascular. Abdominal aortic procedure started 1950, almost 70 years ago, descending aorta. At trochabdominal aortic aneurysm, 1955. Ascending aorta, the same age, 19, about 70 years ago. Aortic arch around that area. Some aortic root procedure, 1967. And then about 20 years later, uh, a stenting started. And this is uh, amazing. Actually, a stenting came from descending aorta first. And then in 1991, uh, abdominal stenting got introduced. A lot of pushback uh, by surgeons, by these surgeons that were doing these procedures open for doing any of these endovascular. When we do TVAR, thoracic endovascular repair, the concept of it is easy. There's a tear, there's a primary tear somewhere in this aorta, aorta tour. Uh, each, each side of the aorta, this lumen has, has three layers and in intima media adventitia. And between intima and media, tear happens. Intima gets dissociated from media adventitia and the blood goes inside that. And so, and that's why the tear here, um, it can happen multiple area. 
and the blood goes this is the good lumen and this is the bad lumen. The blood goes to the bad lumen and this this part, which is only usually covered by adventitia, is very soft and it can rupture or it can become dilated and aneurysmal because it's only adventitia. It doesn't have enough strength into that. So that the concept all days was to go back and make into the chest, make a huge incision and cut from here all the way down here, as I explained. But now with the concept of the T-bar is to go here and put a tube, put a stent, exactly like coronary stent, bigger and covered. Uh, and so from here and cover the stair, cover these stairs to somehow and then deploy the stent. So these are some, some of the examples that nowadays with endovascular option, we, we, we help patients without cutting them open anymore. And this is a patient that comes with dysphagia and patients, you know, that from low diverticulum, they have an aberrant right subclavian artery. That means their aorta, their right subclavian artery, let's wait until this turns. So this right subclavian artery is, is pushing, this right, this is the right subclavian artery. And this is esophagus here. So the right subclavian artery is pushing the esophagus against the posterior wall of the aorta. Let's show it here again. So this, this is the esophagus here, extremely tight here. And that's the right subclavian, aberrant right subclavian here. And that's the cumbral diverticulum here. And that's the esophagus. We see this problem a lot, believe it or not. Usually, data uh, was was about five to seven percent of uh, patient population actually have that. Although I have to say, we somehow we have to make sure we are not overdiagnosing this, and we don't do intervention without uh, without indication. And some of the uh, uh, studies that we have to do is we have to make sure patients get endoscopy, patients get barium swallow and, uh, and esophagoscopy to make sure that they don't have, uh, esophageal and stomach disease. Uh, and, and, and then, okay, uh, probably that right aberrant subclavian is causing patients get dysphagia and they can't, they can't eat well. In old days, we had to go back either, uh, resect all of this from here to here and do like crazy uh, big size operation to to, to save this patient's problem. But now this is what we do. We just go and stamp that. It's, uh, cover that right subclavian artery and and do a right carotid right subclavian bypass. You see this is a patient that got right carotid right subclavian bypass and uh, transposition and stent across this stent goes to the left subclavian because we had to come up very close uh, and cover that area and you see there's no more right subclavian it was it used to be back here going back here it's gone patient's problem resolved by just endovascular uh, 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 options this is a patient uh, and again, uh, if I want to explain, it's a lot of, uh, 
technical things, but for endovascular option, we have to figure it out. Revascularize the head vessels somehow, either by endo option, by putting a stent into them, or do an extra anatomy bypass, like left carotid, left subtalian bypass, and just some stenting in from these head head vessels into the graft. Depends on the uh, how uh, anatomy looks like in the in the arch and how uh, difficult it is either a stenting or or open procedure we 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 uh, decide based on preoperative CT scan this patient came with a rupture of his distal stenosis uh, after a patient that you see that it was ruptured this is his preoperative CT scan uh, that showed rupture of his distal stenosis and and so going back inside this chest, resect all of this and do all of these onstomosis again, it's a morbid procedure. So now we do back table fenestration. We open up a graft, this is a stent graft. We, this is on the back table. And we open it up, we make three holes inside the graft and resheat that back in, go inside the chest, go inside the femoral, no, I'm sorry, go from the femoral artery and deploy it. Deploy that right, these three head vessels in nominate, left carotid, right, left subclavian, and, and deploy it and uh, right against the head vessels and through the head vessels, we access them with some wires and catheters and stent them. This is his post op CT scan. You see that that's resolved. And this is his um, um, 3D reconstructed CT scan that pseudoaneurysm is resolved. So, Again, as I explained, somehow because it's very tortuous aortic arch, you rather do carotid, carotid, carotid subclavian bypass and just do one fenestration into the innominate artery. Uh, yes, you have to do a lot of bypasses in up there, and but makes it easy to just do one. Thing. Sometimes you have to do a bunch of, uh, do a left carotid, left subclavian bypass and two fenestration. And I sometimes you just do all of this as a three fenestrations. Depends on the tortures and autumn. We have done this in our centers, about 24 patients. And so, uh, phenomenon outcomes, uh, so far for our total endo arch patients. Ascending a stand. Some patients can tolerate open operation and we, uh, uh, we elderly patients, we do a sending stent. We uh, from the femoral artery, we access and we put a, uh, the, a you know uh, endovascular stent across the ascending aorta. If you offer, if you if a patient comes with a type A dissection or aortic pseudoaneurysm or somehow aortic ascending aortic problem, and that that surgery is required, but the patient cannot tolerate surgery. This is their outcomes if you do medical management. Basically, none of these patients are alive after a year. 30-day mortality is 70%. So don't offer medical management if the patient has an ascending aortic problem. It's, it's basically almost the rupture. Uh, and, and so... Uh, Yes, sometimes you have to send a patient to hospice. There's, I understand that, but again, uh, ascending endovascular options are now helping these patients a lot. This is a patient that come uh, with uh, ascending, see ascending dissection, 
tear here. And he's a dialysis patient with a type A frail. And, uh, and so you just get some endovascular. You see that that's an angiography into operative room, massive size tear here. And, and so we go from the femoral artery without making a big incision and put a stent across there, sending you a pretty good uh, solution for these high risk patients. This is a trauma patient, I think. Yes, a trauma patient came with a subdural hematoma and ascending rupture. And again, we go there and we put ascending and cover it. No more of that. And these patients, of course, they, they need a tight blood pressure control in the ICU, uh, but they haven't gone a massive size operation in, in, in so the post-op, the course is, is much better, although they are sicker, older, but uh, the post of the course, usually patients get extubated and accept uh, uh, very tight blood pressure control, not that much uh, other concern for these patients. Uh, we look at our own outcomes and of 28 patients so far, mortality to 13%. So, and again, these are the patients that cannot tolerate open operation. And then finally, endobental repair. Uh, you know, this is extremely, uh, very, uh, uh, I can say, uh, a state of the art. These are the patients that they come and they cannot tolerate procedure for their root. Uh, and, and so, uh, we offer endobental. What is it? Bental, I explained that is to aortic root replacement but hasn't been done. Endobento, uh, it's only been done one time in Brazil and then one in Europe. None of them for acute type A and both of them actually, one of them survived, one of them died. And we did one, I think six months ago and then another one uh, two months uh, two months ago uh, for the first time in, in the United States. And so patients come with their tear in their root. This is a tear in their root so the way we calculate, uh, see, okay, what size of the valve the patient can, can get. And then we, uh, we need to have somehow a graft. And then, uh, this is a, a stented valve, Medtronic valve that, uh, we now use it for patients with uh, severe AS, uh, as a TAVR. And we deploy that as a back table. Um, we deploy that valve and we sew the valve inside the graft. So we sew it just like with hand sewn. Uh, we just put that valve inside the graft. This graft that I show you, we cut it in half because this is very long and you can't put it in the ascending aura. It's, it's like 15 centimeter. So you cut it in half and you put that valve inside that and you sew it, uh, and reconstructed it make two fenestrations, make two holes. Uh, you see that you burn two holes in it for the coronary arteries. You measure it very exactly based on this, where the coronary arteries are sitting, usually at one o'clock and five o'clock. Make those, uh, make those based on the height of your, uh, your landing and, and put, put it back inside the sheet. This is the final configuration of it. Put it back inside the sheet. This is the delivery system of the stent graft. 
and this is the final product. So you, you just put it back inside this and you go there, do some angiography, you show it. Okay, these are the two fenestrations, right? It's now inside this sheet. You see where your coronary arteries are, left, right, and you just deploy it. Again, this shows the left coronary is, is providing, right coronary is providing here. And, and this is the final CT scan for these, right? See that's, and that huge tear that he had contrast into that, it's gone. And these are the flows for the left coronary. This is another patient that we just did as a second. This is aneurysm. Just look at this aorta. You probably want to vomit. Can you imagine if you have a patient with this aorta, an 81-year-old braille present with this chest pain? So you look at this aorta and look at this, and the first thing comes to your mind is, okay, uh, you know, I can't, I can't do a aortic root replacement, total arch replacement on an 81 year old. That is as this, you know, uh, weight is 40, 40 kilograms. And this is her preoperative CT scan. Right. So torn everywhere, arch, root. And everywhere is, 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 is like a mess. Some precardial effusion, some pleural effusion. And so, well, you probably can say, okay, in almost everywhere in the United States, in the whole world, probably going to say hospice. But uh, we, we, as a collaborative team, and I go through that at the end, we said, okay, we probably can do endo arch, uh, total endo arch, and total endo bento. Uh, again, it's crazy stuff we are saying, but we just saying. And, and so, uh, we, we decided to proceed that as a two stage procedure. And this is, this is his, uh, this is her first, uh, first stage, which was total. This is her angiography. Uh, and we go, we put a stent, no opening, put a stent across the arch and somehow here we go. Reconstruct this arch with uh, stenting. Uh, I'm not gonna go through the details of it because it's it's uh, it's a lot. Uh, this stent has a gate that goes for the innominate artery, and with laser that we come from the left subclavian, we make a small hole into the graft with a laser from the left subclavian, and and put a graft in it. And this patient had a left carotid left subclavian bypass so that we don't, we don't put two lasers because this, this laser will hit the gate here. We didn't want that. But again, this gate was pre-made already for this graft, uh, in this sitting into the innominate artery. And this is sitting into the left subclavian and this left subclavian is bypassed to the left carotid and left carotid here is getting perfusion by the sustain going to the left subclavian. Here you go. This is the left subclavian, left, left axillary, and the left carotid that is attached to that. So this was the first stage. Taking care of her arch. Of course, still this big bad boy sitting here. See, this is 
denominator tree left subclavian left axillary left cradle okay now let's take care of the bigger part which is root and again the same step going another day this patient got her first day went back to the CSICU got extubated walked around two or three days later and then ready for her bigger operation which is endobental and we brought her back we made a small incision uh, and got access uh, from the groin and performed the endobental the same that I explained graft valve sitting into the graft It's the first, this is a sending stent to as a bridge. And this is her final angiography with the valve, uh, endobental, coronary uh, perfusion, and total arch. And this is her final CT scan. Pretty crazy. I wish I, I had the other, her preoperative TS can sitting next to this one. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, if, if 20 years ago, if you have shown this to somebody, they would have said we are coming from uh, another, another, uh, uh, another island. Uh, I'm going to skip this part because these are a little bit of uh, details, uh, but I want to talk about uh, aortic center and altogether every center, a center of excellence. Uh, and the definition of center of excellence is in healthcare is that a given center's providers are capable of providing specialized above standard care in an environment with dedicated resources for that area of expertise. Doesn't matter center of excellence for aortic disease, heart valve structure. Cardi uh, ICU intensivist med, med, cancer center. Its highest level quality of patient care happens into that center of excellence. Advancing research happens in that because it's just focusing on that. My my focus is just aortic disease, and 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 that's what the area that I work on. Uh, developing innovative techniques just around this, con contributing to the standardization of care and best practice in this field. And, and and to truly having a comprehensive aortic center, there are a lot of uh, variables into that. Cardiac surgery and vascular surgery collaborations are extremely important. Second is dedicated aortic expertise. Uh, just shifting the practice, it's, that surgeon doesn't have, or those surgeons don't have to do all of the aortic cases, but overseeing the cases to make sure that patients are getting the best care and optimal therapy. Some patients are better to do less. Some patients are better to do more uh, extensive procedure. That's why, like, for example, if a patient comes if, for type A, I almost do total large in all of them when they are less than, you know, 60 year old, even 65. Uh, if they are healthy, if they are, they don't have too much sick or comorbidities. But if, uh, if, if patients are in a sicker side, we just do hemiage. Again, shifting 
and dedicating the aortic expertise. Vascular surgery is the same. Here is Dr. Tor, and uh, he doesn't have to do all of the cases, but he oversees the uh, patients that they come with the aortic problem. Third element is, you know, having aortic hotline for the rapid transfer call to door time has to be shorter, has to be better. Aortic hotline operator, nurse practitioners, uh, on-call vascular and cardiac surgeon, uh, of course, having access to ICU, uh, pre-op, post-op, and operative room setup. And multidisciplinary aortic center, here that we have every week, we have vascular surgery, cardiac surgery, radiologists, MPs, uh, and they sit and go over the cases. And uh, uh, a clinic that we have every week will follow these patients with CT scan every month, three months, six months, and every year. And uh, uh, of course, uh, needs real-time data. Uh, like everything else, I think ICU real-time data is extremely important. Aortic surgery outcomes, vascular surgery, valve, valve surgery, coronary surgery. Having a real-time data provides, okay, what are lacking in this month compared to last month? Or are we getting better? Or no, this month outcomes was worse than last month. And, and we have SDS, uh, IRAD, and VQI, which is vascular surgery database and ARCH database. And, and these are the data that we get every, every, uh, every month. You look at our outcomes, uh, and, and if you guys, if you guys can look, so this is the number of, uh, universal mainland aortic dissection. Uh, and it says, <clears throat> From from this year, total 157 aortic dissections versus Washington Hospital Center 100, Hopkins 68, Duke 100, Cleveland Clinic 320, UPenn 158. So this is what we get every, every we get it every month because every month we want to compare our outcomes compared to other centers, neighbors. As you can see, we were 157. And our neighbors, Hopkins 68, Washington Center 100, Cleveland Clinic 320, not surprising, right? They have a high volume of everything. And then UPenn, close to us, 158, 157. So we get that every month. And not only the number, we also look at the outcomes. In hospital stroke, 7%. Uh, aspiration pneumonia, GI hemorrhage, hospital acquired pneumonia, everything we get, let me compare, okay, what we do, what did we do wrong or, or, or right? This is the number of open and endo cases for the aortic surgery for the last four years and significantly has increased from both open and endo cases. And the last one, which is extremely important is again, for every center of excellence, for everything, for uh, cardiology, for cardiac surgery, for in, uh, me- medical ICU, uh, is concerned for not receiving enough credit financially, professionally, etc. in joint cases or in patient's care. And it gets better by having a higher volume when we get a better outcomes. If I disagree, if I, we disagree about something, it's better to respect 
And this actually provides opportunities for discussion, for research, for building, and also willingness to share and there. And there are a couple of sentences that in joint cases in, in the area of academic practice uh, that I hate to hear, this is my patient, I should get the credit, they don't have the skill set, why they are not doing it my way, or it was it was their fault. And these are sentences that I, I, I actually think that sometimes uh, it's, it's not produ- productive and it hurts patients care. There's patience. Uh, these are the people that I can say uh, we, I worked a lot every day and probably, uh, you know, I, I, I decided to stay here mostly because of all of these people here. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, Dr. Tor, he's, he's my partner, Vascular Surgery, he's the co-director of the Aorta Center here. Phenomenal guy. You, you guys probably heard his name every day. You guys hear it every day. And extremely talented person and down to earth and you enjoy working with him. Phenomenon and clinician. And, uh, Brad Taylor is the chief of cardiac surgery. He's probably in the operating room right now and, uh, extremely supportive. Uh, most cardiac surgeons, I can say they are not, um, pro endo options, but he's, he's extremely actually pro endo. Uh, and he, he pushes the boundaries uh, and to, to think about, uh, some less invasive and uh, for and and some extra uh, uh, treatment uh, for, for patients uh, ex- instead of just doing open heart operation. Uh, and uh, Dr. Dai, who is the uh, director of heart valve structure, co-director of heart valve structure, extremely supportive for uh, for. Uh, uh, for our aortic center, uh, and, uh, for our actually endopental procedure, uh, and, uh, um, massively, uh, great clinician, uh, for, uh, for our center. Dr. Kang, who is our vascular partner, uh, phenomenon. Dr. Chahal, you guys heard him. He's fantastic a clinician and inter- interventional cardiologist, uh, especially supportive of our endopental. And the team, uh, that, uh, that are here, uh, for an odd patient supportive. I should have mentioned our inpatient, uh, MPs. Of course, the list of them were young, uh, extremely long, long, uh, uh, both in the ICU and on the floor. And I didn't have, I, I Googled a lot for Addison to find a, a profile picture. I couldn't find it. And this randomly was a picture that came on a journal about, uh, about the xenotransplant and she was giving a talk and I kind of took a picture of it by my phone and just put it up here. So, uh, again, thanks for, uh, her, uh, her input and care, uh, of every patient of the aortic, every aortic patients in the ICU, every patient and with the nurses and, uh, uh, that they are taking care of our patients in the ICU. Uh, thanks everyone for your time.